Well, thank you, Ryan. It is, uh, it is good to be here. I'm so glad, and I just feel an incredible privilege to preach this morning. And I am glad that all of you are here. This is a lot more fun when you all show up. If I was just preaching to myself, that would be less of a, less of a privilege, I guess. Um, so we are glad you're here. I want to I wanna start by letting all of you in on a little secret. And that is that this morning, we are going to break a rule. I know, some of you are excited. I already heard that. Someone over here is a rule breaker. Um, and some of you feel a little nervous by that idea of breaking a rule. Uh, but we're going to break a rule this morning. And the good news is it's not, a, it's not a biblical rule, but it's a cultural rule. It's a cultural norm. Uh, and that is that we all know, right, there are certain things you just don't talk about, right? You know if you go to a family gathering, maybe some of you have done this, in my own extended family, we've had some Thanksgiving gatherings where topics like politics and religion and sexuality, money, these things come up, right? And you know if you're at a family gathering and politics comes up, you know you are about to have a moment to remember, right? You know there's going to be some, some real robust conversation. And so we know that there are certain things that we've just been taught. We just don't talk about those things. Don't talk about it. Right? You wouldn't go to a, a, a dinner party and meet someone for the first time and say, hey, here's how much money I make. Here's how I spend my money. Here's how I find my identity and, and what my paycheck is. Here's the measure of comfort I take and how much money I have in the bank. You would not do that, right? It would be an incredibly awkward thing to do, an incredibly uncomfortable thing to do, because our culture has told us certain things we just don't talk about. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about money. So we're going to break that rule, and we're just going to talk about it. And we're not going to talk about it because I want to. Let me be very clear. We're not going to talk about money because I want to. That is not the primary driving focus here. I may be the executive pastor. Yes, I oversee the finances of the church. We are not talking about this because I want to. We're talking about this because Jesus wants us to. We're talking about this because Jesus takes this topic of money and possessions incredibly seriously in Scripture. We're going to talk about it because if we're going to be faithful disciples of Jesus, we have to allow Jesus to shape how we think about things. And if we're honest, Southlands, our culture has plenty to say about money. It has plenty to say about possessions, right? If you turn on TV, you're going to see ad after ad that's going to tell you, you just need this new thing. That if you just had this new thing, if you just had this much money, you'd actually be happy, right? I, I sometimes see these ads on TV where it's like, the, um, it's like the app where they'll give you your paycheck early. I don't know if any of you have seen that when you watch TV. I feel like Hulu plays that ad like every, every time for me. I don't know if it's like a message to me. They're like, hey, we're concerned that you need money. Um, I don't know what it is, but I see that ad a lot, right? And I just go like, this ad is literally telling us that if we just had access to more money, everything would be okay. Our culture has plenty to say about money. But if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we cannot just listen to our culture. We have to say, Jesus, what do you have to say about money? How do you want us to use our resources? We have to let him shape how we talk about these things and how we think about these things. And so this morning, I want to ask that each of you would hang in, hang in there with me and don't check out. I know some of you are already nervous going great, we're talking about money. Of course, the pastor wants to talk about money. Maybe some of you invited a friend and you're going, you gotta be kidding me. I'd like to apologize. Please come back for another week. You can hear a sermon not on money. 
But Southlands, this is important because Jesus says it is. And if he believes it's important, then we need to believe that it's important. And I don't care if you are a college student. How many of you are college students? Raise your hand if you're a college student. Okay, if you're a college student, you might feel like I did when I was a college student. If someone were to preach on money, I would be like, what's that? I haven't seen any of that in a long time. I had the opposite of money as a college student, right? I was taking out student loans to go to college. I was actively losing money. I didn't have money to give. Like, college students, this is for you. Because how we think about money will shape what majors you pursue. It'll shape how you spend your time. It'll shape how you uh, live open-handedly with what you have. And some of you are at the other end of the spectrum, right? You're at retirement age or close to retirement. Maybe you've already, already retired. And you're going, I'm not working anymore. I kind of have a set income, right? I know what I got. I've worked hard. I've, I've, I've saved well. And now I'm just stewarding what I have to kind of get across the finish line of my life. And I want to say, if you're retired, this is for you as well. But most of us are somewhere in between, right? Most of us are somewhere in between those two ends of the spectrum. And maybe you're like me, right? I have three kids at home now. And I think about money often. Mostly I think about how I don't have enough of it, right? Most of the time I think, how am I gonna provide for my family? How am I gonna provide for my kids so they can have opportunities? My daughter Lola went to the dentist last week and I thought, how am I gonna afford braces when she gets older? You know, she's six years old. My, daughter, my oldest daughter is six. And I'm already thinking, okay, I got 12 years till she goes to college. And there is a 0% chance that I can afford that. Like, I mean, so that's a cool situation I got on my hands, right? Like, but I'm regularly thinking about money. I'm regularly going, I just need a little bit more, Jesus. How do I just make sure that my family has what they need? And maybe that's what you're like. Maybe that's where you find yourself. Is you, you find yourself, you wouldn't say, man, like money is like what I'm about. But if you're honest, it's just there all the time. In the back of your head, you're thinking about it. How am I going to pay those bills? Where am I going to invest these funds? Can I write that tithe check or not? Listen, I'm gonna prom I promise you, this is my word, I will not have us pass the offering baskets again at the end of this service. <laughs> I will not ask all of you to respond by writing a larger tithe check. I will not do that. I do believe Jesus might ask you to do that, but I'm not going to do that. So what I am going to ask, though, is that we all hang in there and we track with me this morning, because I think this is incredibly important for us. And there is a way that I'm going to ask each one of us to respond at the end of this message. Each one of us, regardless of how much money we have or how little money we have, I want each one of us to respond. So can you jump in with me to Luke 16? And can we see what God says and what Jesus says to his disciples about money? In verse 1, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. 
So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in, very, in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And Jesus, this morning, we come before you, God, and we say that we want to be faithful disciples. And Jesus, as disciples, we have to allow you to shape how we think about money. God, our culture has so much to say. And Jesus, so often the wisdom of the world around finances creeps into our hearts, Jesus. But this morning, Jesus, I ask that you would that you'd pull those things back and allow us to see you clearly, that you'd allow us to actually understand what you want from us and how you call us as disciples to live, that Jesus, that we would not be those who justify ourselves before you, but that we'd be open to say, Jesus, no matter what you ask for, no matter what you call us to, it is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive in, before we actually begin to unpack and say, what is Jesus trying to teach in this passage? I want us first to take a step back. And I want to remind us why Jesus used parables and what they're meant, how they're meant to be understood. See, I, I think that oftentimes we misunderstand parables in scripture because we think about parables wrongly. I think too often we think about parables as being these cute little stories that Jesus taught his disciples that have like some good moral or lesson in them for his disciples to like live a better life, right? And we go, oh, that's a cute little, story. it's like story time with Jesus. And we think about it like I think about when my daughter Lola, when she was two or three, we would take her to the Fullerton library for story time. And it was a bunch of toddlers in the library. It was absolute chaos. But the librarian would gather these toddlers into one room and would read a story. And the story would be this, you know, it'd be a cute story. It's a story for toddlers, right? They're these simple, sometimes cheesy stories, but they'd have this, this little message, this little lesson for them to learn, right? It'd be a lesson about how to be a good friend or how to be brave or how to talk about our feelings or what do we do when we're scared, right? These different little lessons of how to improve their lives. That's not what's happening in these parables. Parables were not, it wasn't story time with Jesus. He's not giving his disciples a moral or a lesson just to make their lives better. 
Parables will, this is actually more like a theological lecture, right? Jesus is actually, he's unpacking the truths of the kingdom of God. He's unpacking and explaining the truths of who God is. He's explaining and saying, disciples, this is what it looks like to live as a citizen of my kingdom. Parables are not simple little stories with a lesson to make your life better. And this morning, I promise you, I'm not going to give you three tips for financial faithfulness. That's not what Jesus does. Right? He actually is saying, I want you to understand as my disciples what it means to, to live as a citizen of my kingdom. I want you to understand as my disciples what it means and how we treat and, and handle money. This is not a simple little story. This is a, a parable full of profound truth about who God is and how we are called to live in his kingdom. And we have the added step as 21st century disciples of Jesus because we are not, in fact, well-versed in the culture of first century uh, Jewish daily life. And so we actually need to do the extra work to understand what's happening in these stories, in these parables, that the, 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 the listeners in the first century would have automatically picked up on, but we might miss. We don't understand their culture fully. We don't, we don't live in the same world that they lived in. And so we have to do some extra work. And so what I want to do before we get, again, get to these points that I think Jesus has for us, I want to make sure that we understand what's happening in this passage and in this parable. <clears throat> and the first thing we see is there's two main characters. There are two main characters in this parable. The first being the rich man. Right? He's the one who has all the resources. And because he has so much wealth, he actually has hired this manager who will steward and will run his accounts. This person is hired and is, is put in charge to represent the rich man in his business transactions and his business dealings. Right? This is actually not that different than how we uh, have in our culture today. Right? If you think of wealthy individuals who would hire a financial advisor, some of you in this church are financial advisors. Right? And you know that you have clients who have a, a lot of resources who will come to you and say, hey, here is my, here's my money. Will you invest it and will you manage it to bring a return to me? And the expectation for a financial advisor is that you will, in fact, yield a return. Right? If you're a financial advisor and you're not bringing about a return, it's going to be hard to keep your clients. Right? And so the same thing's happening here. This rich man has said, manager, you run my accounts, oversee my funds, and bring about a return. But what happens? People in the community come to the rich man, and they say, hey, just a heads up, your, uh, your manager, he's wasting your money. He's wasting your possessions. He's not, he's not operating in a way that will bring you a return. And so the rich man calls the manager to him and says, what's up? Like, I've heard that you're wasting my money. You can no longer be the manager. He fires him, right? Verse two, the manager is fired. He takes away the accounts and says, you can no longer be the manager. And one of the things that we could very easily miss, but a first century Jewish listener would have absolutely understood in this story, is the manager gives no defense. The manager, the manager doesn't try to tell the rich man, wait, but I actually have been faithful. Wait, but I've worked for you for years. He gives no defense. 
And Kenneth Bailey in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, is so helpful in understanding the context of the culture in which Jesus lived. And he says that, that this man's silence is an admission of guilt. A first century Jew would have known this manager is guilty as charged. And so the manager, just, he skips right over the whole defense part of it and just goes to, well, what do I do now? I'm gonna be removed. I'm gonna lose my place of privilege. What do I do? And he decides, well, I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig, right? I physically cannot provide for myself. And I am, I am too, I'm too ashamed to beg, right? I'm too proud to throw myself on the mercy of people around me. So he goes, I got a plan. I'll act unethically. I'll do something illegal. And that's what he does. His plan is that he actually goes, he's already been fired in verse two, but he goes back to the people who owe a debt to, to the, the, the rich man. And he renegotiates the terms of their debt. And he says, here's what I'll do. I'll go back to them and I'll reduce their debts so that when I am removed from management, when they know that I've been removed and they know that I've been fired, they'll think kindly of me because I, I did them a solid. I do, I'll do them a favor. And then when, I get when, the, when the community finds out that I've been fired, they'll do me a favor because I hooked them up. Right, so that's what's happening here. The manager is, is actually acting illegally. He's no longer authorized to make these transactions and to change these debts. And the rich man hears about it and he commends him. Talk about a strange verse in scripture. Right? And at first glance, it can look like Jesus is actually telling his disciples, here's what you do. You act unethically and you rip people off for your own benefit. I can assure you, and if you hear nothing else from this sermon, please hear this. Jesus is not calling us to act unethically. He is not calling us to rip people off financially. Right? That is not what this man's being commended for. Right? The, the man is being commended because he's finally using the resources. Right? He's been wasting them. And finally, he gets into a bind himself and he begins to use them. And it's as if the master is saying, you should have been doing this all along. The way that you should have been conducting yourself all along was that you were using the resources that I had entrusted to you. And then Jesus begins to unpack this parable for us, right? And I think there are three things that he wants disciples to know about money. And there's three things that he wants us that apply to us today, that he wants us to know about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in light of uh, this conversation around money. And the first thing that he wants his disciples to know is that worldly wealth will fail. Worldly wealth will fail, right? Jesus finishes his parable in verse eight, and in verse nine, he says these words, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That word unrighteous wealth in the Greek is actually the word mammon, which is actually, it's a broader word. It, it refers to possessions. It's not just money, right? It's, it's uh, you can understand this to be, uh, instead of unrighteous wealth, worldly possessions. It's a broader term than just money. It says, make for yourselves, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, when it fails, Let's not miss that, that phrase, right? When it fails. Jesus is saying, disciples understand that worldly wealth will fail. There is no question about that, right? Like, we know that, right? And we hear, the, we hear this statement, right? There's, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? Worldly wealth will fail. 
And I wanna ask, are we living like that? Are we living like worldly wealth will fail? Or are we living like it's, it's, it's what we're living for? I think there's two ways in this passage that we see that worldly wealth will fail. And the first is that it will fail to satisfy. Worldly wealth will fail to satisfy us. Some of you know this firsthand. I know some of you in this church have had incredible success in business. You've made lots of money. And at the peak of that success, at the peak of those resources in the bank, it has not brought peace and happiness. It's actually brought incredible anxiety and fear. I know some of you have, have found that as your bank account goes up, all you can think about is what if it goes down? And you become consumed with, with, with questions of what's gonna happen and how do I get more? What if I lose what I have? Right? Worldly wealth will fail to satisfy us. There will never be enough for us. And this manager exemplifies that, right? He, when he was hired, when he's acting in as a representative of the rich man, he would have had all of his needs provided for. He wouldn't have worried about where his next meal was coming from. He wouldn't, worried about, he wouldn't be worried about how his family would be provided for. He was over the accounts of this rich man. He had an influential position, but it wasn't enough, right? He says that he's wasting the resources. Some commentators and theologians say that could actually be understand that he was actually he was using those resources for himself instead of for his master. So even though he had his needs provided for, it wasn't enough for him. He thought, I just need more. How many of us can relate to that? You go, I have, what I, I have enough, but I just want more. I remember when I was 13 or 14 years old, my, my dad owned a construction company for probably 30 years. And he built incredibly large and beautiful custom homes. Um, and, and by anyone's standards, these were absurdly large homes. I was talking to him this week and he talked about one of the houses that he, uh, he remembers one, probably the biggest house he ever bid on with a, a 35,000 square foot house. I'm pretty sure that's like a dorm, right? Like that's like, I mean, that's, that's huge, um, right? A 35,000 square foot house. And so my dad, he would, his company would build these massive homes. And a lot of them were down by the beach cities, Newport, Laguna, up into the Pasadena area, San Marino. Amazing neighborhoods, beautiful homes. And I remember I was probably 13 or 14, I was working with my dad. And we were down at the beach in Newport in this private gated community building a house. My dad said at lunchtime, hey, let's go down. I wanna show you one of the houses I built a couple years ago. And so we go down to the prime lot. It's the, it's the very front, the kind of corner lot, looks right out over the ocean. All of these lots are expensive, but this one is like the prime piece of real estate. And this couple had actually bought two lots and they built one house across the two lots, 18,000 square feet. And so we walk into the door and my dad knocks and says, hey, can I show my son around? And they go, yeah, come on in, show him around. So we walked around and this house was amazing. Like, as a 13 year old, I was like, this is it. This is what it's all about. Like, I figured it out, Jesus, this is it. Like, dad, we're doing it. And we walked around, they had, they had like, like a 24-hour fitness in their house, right? And they had a pool that was an indoor and outdoor pool, and you could like go under and connect the two. They have this amazing movie theater, like downstairs in the basement, they had this amazing movie theater that I was like, this is, this is it. They had a wine cellar that looked like you were in Europe somewhere. 
I mean, it was absolutely stunning, right? My dad, I was, again, I was talking, talking to him, uh, him about this this week, and he said he actually recalls they had a $40,000 pizza oven in their kitchen. And when the husband found out, how, he kind of said, like, how much did that thing cost? And he heard, oh, yeah, it's $40,000. He said, why do we, we don't even cook. Like, we never cook. Why do we have that, right? So this is not, this is not the 1%. This is like the 0.1%, right? So we get to the house, and we go out to my dad's truck, and we sit down, and he says, so what do you think? And I was like, oh, dad, that's amazing. And he said, Joel, I want to tell you something. And I said, OK. And he said, the, the couple that own this house uh, are an incredibly influential couple in this, in this county. They have an incredible amount of wealth, and they are absolutely miserable. They are so unhappy. The husband and wife, they owned homes all over. They had another massive house in the Long Beach area. And the husband and wife would never stay at the same house because they were so unhappy with each other. My dad looked at me and he said, Joel, I want you to know, money will never make you happy. All the money in the world will never make you happy. I sat there with a 13-year-old and I said, Dad, did you see that pool? <laughs> that for sure would make me happy. Like, at 100% happy. Right? But I'm so grateful. My dad had already seen in me that as a 13 or 14-year-old kid, I had become captivated with this endless pursuit of more. Right? I was going to work with my dad because I just wanted to make money so I could just get more stuff. And I'm sure my dad kind of felt like Ryan does with Nora cleaning the bathroom. He was like, this is not very helpful. But like, okay, just come along and you can move the lumber from this side of the job to that side of the job and try not to mess that up. And then when you finish that, just move it back, right? And I, just, I was just like, okay, dad, whatever you said, I'm just here for the paycheck, right? But I'm so grateful that my dad saw that in me and said, Joel, it will never be enough. It will never satisfy you. And I have thought about that moment countless times in my life. Where I'm going, it won't satisfy me. And not only will it not satisfy us, Southland's worldly wealth cannot save us. Yeah. And if, if we're honest, some of us are living like I can. Some of us are, are going, but if I have a little bit more, then I'll be okay. And Southland's, I want you to know this morning, you will never earn enough to make God love you. You will never give enough to make God love you. You can't write a tithe check large enough to have Jesus say, actually, I need you in heaven with me. It cannot happen. And so Southland, I want to say, if we are disciples of Jesus, we have to understand that all the stuff, I mean, I like stuff, right? iPads and phones, if all this stuff will fail. It will never be enough to make us happy. And we have to stop living like it will. And then Jesus moves on to the second point. And I think the second thing that he wants his disciples to know about money is that the disciples of Jesus leverage their possessions for an eternal future. They leverage their possessions for an eternal future. Right, and then we see it again in verse nine, when Jesus is saying, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, worldly possessions, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Make friends for yourself using your worldly possessions so that when you die and all your stuff is left here, 
There will be men and women who are in the kingdom who will welcome you in to eternal dwellings because you've actually leveraged what you had for the sake of the kingdom. Are we leveraging what we have? Are we taking the possessions that we've been entrusted with and are we saying, how do I use these for the sake of the kingdom? How do I use these to help people encounter Jesus? Think about myself, me and my wife a couple years ago, we're fortunate enough, almost two years ago now, to buy a house. It was not a perfect financial plan that led us there. It was really in many ways the grace of God uh, and his kindness. We kind of stumbled into it. I had some family who helped us and we were able to buy a house. And as the son of a contractor, I immediately said, well, there are things I would like to change about this house. And I would like this house to feel more like that 18,000 square foot house that I saw, right? And so I began to say, how do I make this house a better house? And I began to say, how do I actually make this house more comfortable? And so in the last few months, I've been remodeling and I've been tearing out flooring and putting in new flooring and removing casing around doors and baseboards. And then it went to the bathrooms. Then we got started on bathroom remodels and then it was the fireplace. And I'm not even convinced my, my wife is happy with what's happening at this point. The list is just growing. I'm happy though. So, you know, <laughs> there's that at least, right? But I have to be honest, right? At the end of the day, if I'm making my house more comfortable just so my family can live a more comfortable life, then I'm wasting it, Southlands. Then I'm wasting it. If I'm taking my money and I'm pouring it into my house to say, how do I make this place better for my family? Then I'm wasting it. But instead, how am I going, okay, God, I want this house to be a place where men and women encounter Jesus. I want this to be a house where I can welcome people in who need family and need to find community. I want this house to be a place where people come and they encounter the gospel because we live it in this place. And Southlands, if I remodel my house and make it more comfortable and all I ever do is let my family have a more comfortable life, then I've wasted it. I've wasted it. When I die, that house will still be there. And at some point it'll fall down and it'll, it'll decay and it will rot. but am I using it for an eternal future? My bank accounts, right? You look at your bank account and you go, I don't know if you, any of you are like me, but you take an, a, a crazy amount of comfort by whatever number's in the bank. Things are rough, you look at your bank account in, online, you go, I'm okay, things are gonna be all right. You find a measure of comfort in how much money you have in the bank. And you say things, and, and this is, I'm not immune from this, Southlands. But you say things that sound a lot like verses 14 and 15. We're just justifying ourselves. Two weeks ago, I felt like God said, Joel, I want you to give some money away. I don't share this story because I want to sound good. I, I, I'm not sure it makes me sound good. Um, but I felt like Jesus said, I want you to give some money away. And Southlands, I... I didn't wrestle, I just said no. It wasn't, I mean, we like to say, right? We really wrestled with God. I didn't wrestle, I just said no, that would be foolish, right? I said, that's money that's in my savings, that's for my family. What if something happens? What if our car breaks down and we need to make a repair on our house? What am I gonna do? That's money for my family, Jesus. Like, I've worked hard for that money. I already tithe. I give 10% of what I got to you. I got friends who are overseas as missionaries and I go, I wanna support them financially. And part of me, if I'm honest, I just said, Jesus, I already give you your cut. 
I've already given you your portion. Like this portion's mine. Like I've worked hard for this portion. It's been a hard year. Like Jesus, what if my family needs this money? And I stood here in the front row last week and during worship, I felt like Jesus said, hey, Joel, I want you to give this money. He brought it back up and I said, Jesus, that would not be a wise thing to do. That would not be a wise choice. The financially wise thing to do would be to keep that money in my savings. Because what if my family has a rainy day? And I stood there and during worship, I felt like Jesus said, but it's someone else's rainy day today. And I need that money so that they can be cared for in their rainy day. And trust that if you give it away, that if you have a rainy day, I'll cover you when you need it. And so last Sunday, I did wrestle with Jesus. Right in the front row here during worship. And everything in me said, it's not a wise decision, Jesus. And I don't think he actually cared what I thought. I don't think he was concerned with what I thought was wise. And so I went home, I told my wife, I said, hey, I think Jesus wants to give some money away. And I'm thinking like, she'll say no, and then we're good, right? Like, then I can tell, then I can tell Jesus, sorry, I totally would have, but you know, Shannon said no, right? But I went home and I said, Shannon, I think Jesus wants to give us some money away. And she said, great, let's do it. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I'm not sure you understand when I'm like, I think Jesus wants to give this much money away. And she said, that's great. Let's give it away. If Jesus wants it, then let's give it. And it specifically was, I felt like Jesus has asked me to give money to those churches that we partner with through Advance that are in India and Nepal. And those churches are suffering greatly right now. And I just felt like Jesus is saying, it's their rainy day today. So don't save that money for your rainy day. It's their rainy day. And I want you to give it to them. And Southland, it's a wrestle, right? Because it's not financially wise. It's not what the world would tell me to do with my resources. But ultimately, I have to say, how am I using what God's entrusted me with for the sake of his kingdom? I can't let the world tell me how to view money. I can't let the world tell me how to use my resources. I have to let Jesus tell me that. And that lands in the third point that I think Jesus wants his disciples to know. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that it does not ultimately matter how much money you have or how little money you have. What ultimately matters is who are you serving? The ultimate question to answer is not, is not how much money you should have. I'm not going to tell you that if you have over X amount of money in the bank, you have too much. The question you have to answer is not how much should you have. The question you have to answer is who are you serving? That's the, that's the key question to all of this, Southlands, is who are you serving? Because if you're serving Jesus, then he gets to determine how you use those things. And I think we so often justify ourselves. I so often justify myself, right? I say things like, well, I'm tithing and I'm giving. And Southlands, I wanna ask the question this morning. I think so often we talk about, well, how much are you giving? And listen, I believe in tithing. I have a conviction that scripture calls us to tithe. But I think sometimes we tithe and then we go, well, the rest is just for me. And now I get to be in control of these funds. 
And if Jesus is our master, I think the question is not just how much do we give away, but it's what do we do with what we keep? Right, what are you doing with what you keep? You should be giving money away. You should be tithing. You should be giving to what God's doing. But that's not all. Actually, what are you doing with the things that you keep? Because if Jesus is our master, if he's the one that we serve, then he gets to tell us how to spend our resources. He gets to tell us how to live. What does this look like, Southlands? What does it look like to live in a way that we say, Jesus, you are the master. Jesus, you are the one that I serve. And I'm gonna let you tell me how to spend my resources. You wanna know what it looks like? It looks like men and women in this church who last year in March, I don't know if you can remember last year in March what was happening, right? The world was grinding to a halt. And we began to have to answer really serious questions about what do we do and do we meet in person or do we go online or do we go to homes or what, what happens, right? But there was incredible fear for many, right? I remember if you watched the news at that time, they were talking about like, this could be the Great Depression again. Like we could have the economy absolutely collapse. And men and women in this church came to us as elders and said, we wanna give to start a COVID relief fund. That wasn't something that Southlands initiated as the elders. It was men and women in this church who said, I have enough. And I know that there are people who are hurting today and I wanna give so that we can help take care of them. And Southlands, the world would have said that is foolish. March of 2020 was no time to be giving away your money. What if your industry was the next to be impacted? What if your job was the next one to be cut? But we had men and women in this community who said, I have enough, and so I'm gonna give it away because there's people who need it. That's what it looks like to say Jesus is the master of, of, of how we live. I think back to 2019, where you took a team to Thailand from this church in the fall of 2019. And in the spring, we had announced the dates for the trip. And there was an individual in our church who works in, in healthcare. And they came to me and said, you know, I, I wanna know the dates of the trip because I, I've requested time off from work for vacation in the fall. And I have to request my time off pretty early. And I, I just wanna see if the dates line up. And the dates did in fact line up. The dates of the trip were the exact dates this person had requested for time off. And this person had requested time off and they had saved money to go on vacation. And they came back to me and said, I think Jesus wants me to go on this trip to Thailand instead. And so this individual didn't go on vacation. They took the money they had saved, they took their time off that they had requested and they went to Thailand and they served and they helped kids who needed to, to encounter Jesus. And because this individual went, we were able to do medical clinics and checkups for these kids. And we were able to serve in villages and, and see people who haven't seen doctors in, in maybe their entire lives actually be treated for, for simple, uh, simple illnesses that they have no treatment for. And this individual came back and they were exhausted. They were exhausted. They had worked themselves. They had served and served and served. But they said, when Jesus is the Lord of my life, when he's the master, he gets to determine what I do with my stuff. He gets to determine what I do with my time off. And the world would have said, hey, you have a hard job. You deserve a vacation. You've saved. You deserve to go land the beach somewhere. 
But when Jesus is master, sometimes he says, actually, no, no, I don't want you to go on vacation and lay on the beach somewhere. I want you to take that time and I want you to give it away. I want you to serve people. I want you to use it instead for an eternal future. I think of people like the McDonald's who have intentionally chosen to open their home to foster kids. They said this home could be their, it could be their safe space. They serve in lots of ways. It could, have been, it could be their safe space where when they go home, it's just for them. It's for them to catch their breath and to recharge. But instead, they open up their home to kids who need to encounter love, need to find a family, need to encounter Jesus. And they sit with these kids in the middle of the night and they pray over them and they worship with them and they just trust Jesus. They may only be here for a short time, but we want them to encounter you. We want to leverage what we have for the sake of the kingdom. That's what it looks like, Southlands. When we say, Jesus, you are the master. You are the one that we serve. And we're gonna stop living like worldly wealth will satisfy us. We're gonna stop living like worldly wealth will, will last forever. We're gonna stop pursuing more and more and more stuff. And instead, Jesus, we're gonna live open-handedly. We're gonna take everything we got and we're gonna leverage it to say, we wanna see the kingdom grow. We wanna see people come into the kingdom. We wanna get welcomed into the kingdom someday and have people who are there because we were willing to live open-handedly. So Southlands, this morning, again, I promised you I would not ask you to write a bigger tithe check. But I do think some of you are sitting here. I believe some of you are probably sitting here like I was last week going, I think God's actually asked me to give up some stuff. I think God's asked me to give up some money. I think God's asked me to give up uh, some of my comfort. So I'm not gonna ask you to write a bigger tithe check, but I do say, I will say, please respond to Jesus. And the, the request I have for all of us this morning, Southlands, is that we would answer this question, who are you serving? Who are you serving? Because an 18 year old, I, come, I, came, I came across this verse, as a freshman at Biola University. And I was serving money. My parents were here at the first service. If they were here now, they would, they would affirm that, they would tell you that. I was serving money. And I went into a session at Tory Bible Conference and Brian Loritz, who's a pastor and he's on the board of trustees at Biola, he, he was leading. And he was talking about the American dream and consumerism. And I went into this session talking about a new pair of shoes that I was gonna go buy. Talking to a friend of mine, hey, I'm leaving after this, service, this session to go to the, the mall and buy a new pair of shoes. And Brian Loritz at one point said, how many houses is enough houses? How many cars is enough cars? And I promise you, it's like he looked right at me. And it was one of those moments where like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like with a preacher looked right at you and you're like, oh no. <laughs> like, oh no, like this is for me. And he looked at me and he said, how many pairs of shoes is enough shoes? And I thought, I don't know, I'll let you know when we get there. Like, uh, I don't know, we're not there yet though. So let's, let's keep this train going, right? No, I went back to my room and I actually began to search scripture and say, what does scripture say about money? What does it say about possessions? And I came across this passage over and over and over again. As an 18 year old, I sat in my dorm room and I said, I have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. I'm serving money, but I have to choose. Am I gonna serve Jesus or not? And Southlands, I've come back to this passage a thousand times between now and then. Came back to it last week. I'll probably come back to it in a few weeks from now. 
And I'll have to again and again say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I am not going to serve money. I'm not gonna go and fall back into that endless pursuit of more. I'm going to serve you. And so Southlands, I wanna land. We're gonna go into worship. Sam's gonna come up. He's gonna sing a song. It's a song that we have not sung here. It's a song called Nothing Else. It's a song all about the fact that all we want is Jesus. It's all we want. And what I'm gonna ask is that he will sing that song over us. And I want each one of us, no matter how much you have, if, you have no mo- if you're in college and you have no money or you have incredible wealth, I don't think that actually is the key question here. But I want each one of us here this morning to actually spend a moment and to encounter Jesus and to reflect and to say, Jesus, I'm gonna choose to serve you. I want us to think about if people looked at our lives, does it look like we're serving Jesus? Does it look like, look like we're living open-handed? Does it look like we're living for money? Does it look like we're serving the money just like everyone else in our culture is? And as you spend time and as you reflect on that, then I want to ask that you would take communion. If you didn't get, grab the communion elements when you came in, they're on a table uh, kind of by the edge of the tent there where you, where you would have entered. But I want to ask that you would then take communion. And Southlands, we have to recognize and remember that we live open-handedly in light of what Jesus has done for us, right? We don't live open-handedly because Jesus is a harsh master. We live open-handedly because he's given up everything that we might have relationship with him. And when we think about the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he hung there and he died and, he, and as he bled out on the cross, it was so that you and I could encounter him. It was so that you and I could have an eternal future. When we think about that, it becomes so much easier to take all of our stuff and say, Jesus, it doesn't matter. It's just stuff. It's nothing compared to what you've done for me. So would you take communion and then would you stand and would you sing this song as a prayer, as a declaration that Jesus, all we want is you. We wanna serve you, we wanna worship you. You are the very one that we want, the only one that we want. So we take a moment and when you are ready, take communion and then stand and worship with us.